0: I want you to imagine a medical scenario with me for just a minute. Uh, The situation is this you don't think there's anything wrong with you, and there's no evidence to suggest that there's anything wrong with you. However, at a routine checkup, the doctor discovers something, refers you for testing, the results come back, and the reality is you have a serious condition. Now, it's in the early stages, which is why you don't feel anything, but the prognosis for your condition is absolutely clear. This condition will take your life, and it will take your life not many years hence. Now, after taking in the prognosis, which is sobering and you struggle to believe it, the doctor further tells you that there is actually a treatment available. And not just a treatment which manages the effects of the condition or slows the spread of the condition. It is actually a treatment which cures you of your condition. Now, how insane would you have to be to not take that treatment? How irrational, how unreasonable, how foolish... Would you be if you walked out of the office denying the reality of your condition and refusing to accept the cure? And yet that is exactly what some of you are doing right now, spiritually speaking. You see, you and I, all of us, we have a terminal condition which will lead to judgment and death. It is a condition called sin. God has provided a cure and yet some of you do not take it. And so here's what I want to do. I want to show you the scriptural test results. I want to show you The scriptural test results. I want to show you the amazing cure and my hope is that you will take it. And if you've already taken it, I trust this message will make your heart sing because there is nothing more wonderful than glorying in what God has done for you in saving you from your sin. I have three points for you this morning. Number one, what's our problem? It's sin. Number two, what's the solution? Justification by faith alone. And then number three, what's the fruit? In other words, what's the effect? What's the effect of this cure on our lives? So let's start with the first. What's the bad news? By the way, you might be helped if you had your outline open Uh, There's a lot of Scripture there. I'm not going to go to all of those texts, but you can take a look at them later if that's helpful to you. If I were to ask you what your biggest problem is, what would you say? Is it financial? Is it your health? Is it a relationship? Is it a lack of something that you perceive would make you whole? a different stage in life, a different job. Those are all real problems, no doubt, but none of those things are your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is sin. And I want to take you back to the very beginning of creation that Kevin, although we didn't even talk, sitting there thinking, he's preaching my sermon for me. He needs to stop it. Maybe you need to hear it twice. I want you to think about Adam's sin for a second. When God spoke the universe into existence by the word of his power, his climactic act was the creation of mankind. He he made man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his image, designed to showcase his glory. He placed them in a special place where his presence was promised to dwell. And he gave them every good and precious thing. And then he gave them his law in the form of one commandment. He told them that they were free to eat from any tree in the garden, save one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.16 says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. That tree alone they were forbidden to eat from. Now why did God do this? To see if they would submit to his good law. To see if they would submit themselves to his good authority, his right authority over them as their maker, creator, and sustainer. What did they do? They did not submit to his good authority. Through the temptation of the serpent, they chose to disbelieve God's word and to do what God had forbidden. They ate the fruit. This is the entrance of sin into the world. Have you ever wished that you could just kind of delete backspace, go back, and something never happened? I guarantee you, Adam wished he could have done that. What was the result? The result was the entrance of death into the world. God's Word promised death for disobedience and that's exactly what happened because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you were dust and to dust you shall return that 's death. Death is the result of adam 's sin, and death isn 't just physical it 's spiritual. In the closing verses of chapter three god drives Adam out of the garden, which, mind you, that's where his presence dwells, and then he bars the entrance. Mankind is now separated from God, destined not for eternal life, but for separation and alienation from him. Now, what's the big deal? Why such a big fuss over some fruit? The fruit isn't primarily the issue. The issue is that in their hearts, they have dethroned the God of the universe and enthroned themselves in his place. Who will be Lord? Adam says, I will be Lord. That is unspeakably evil and rightly deserves God's judgment. But why am I talking about this? I mean, this is Adam's problem. This is not your problem. Actually, it is your problem. It is your problem. Because Adam's sin is your sin. We read Romans 5 as our Scripture reading this morning. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is hugely significant. The consequences of Adam's sin don't just apply to Adam. They apply to all men. And so death spread to all men, the text says. Every single person is consigned to the same fate as Adam. Separation from God eternally, away from the presence of His glory. And this is not just the teaching of this one verse. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-one and 22 says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ all shall be made alive. What you're seeing here in Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15 is covenant headship. All of humanity is either in Adam and thus a sharer of all that's his or in Christ and thus a sharer of all that is his. I want to double tap on Adam for just a second. When Adam sinned, he sinned as the representative of the whole human race. And so, when he sinned, his sin was credited or imputed to all mankind. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans 5.12 that death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, just pause with me for just a second, and let's just recognize you didn't actually sin in the garden. You weren't there, but his sin was counted to your account. The same truth is repeated in verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. The many were counted or declared sinners. So, although you may wish it weren't true, the reality is that Adam's problems are your problems because you have inherited from Adam two things. Number one, guilt. You are born guilty. And I'm actually not referring to the feeling of guilt here. The feeling of guilt. I'm referring to the legal status of guilt. You are born not an innocent person, but a guilty person. Now, I I just have to say, I know that this is tough to hear. I know that you probably don't think that you are... Born guilty, you probably think that you are born innocent because for one, it just kinda makes sense to us. I mean, we think about babies, and, and babies are so darn cute and and babies can't do anything, so how can babies be guilty? Well, they're guilty and you're guilty because we're all born in Adam, connected to him. All that is his is yours including his condemnation this is romans 5:18 one trespass led to condemnation for all men one trespass led to condemnation for all men you have inherited i have inherited adam's guilt you've also inherited his corruption you are born with a heart inclined to act like your father, Adam. The Scriptures are so clear about our nature, even from birth. Psalm fifty-one five says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That is such a strong statement. Now, maybe you think it's talking about his mom. Maybe she was engaged in immorality when she conceived him. No, the context of this psalm isn't about her at all. It's David confessing his own personal sin throughout the entire section. He's tracing his sin back to the very beginning, and he admits the very painful truth. He was born a sinner. So just let this land on you. This is so contrary to how we think. But this is what the Bible says. He was born not morally good. He was born not even morally neutral. He was born morally a sinner. And that's true of everyone. Because we're in Adam. We are born with hearts inclined not to love God and love neighbor. We are born with hearts inclined to sin and self. And frankly, this truth is so Easily verifiable, you need only spend one morning in the Sprouts or Tots room. Nobody has to teach a kid to say mine or even strike another youngster if their beloved toy is taken. And you're like, well, that doesn't happen when I'm watching them because I navigate it such that they can't get near the other. Yes, but it's still in their heart and they'd hit them if they could get close enough. We are born In Adam, with natures that are morally corrupt. What does this mean? It means you have to confront the uncomfortable and unflattering reality that you are fundamentally not a good person and that you stand condemned. Listen to just a few verses. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, Romans three ten through 12. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, Titus 3, 3 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath." like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. These are the test results. When the Bible does an MRI on your soul, this is what it reveals. And I want to make sure you're following this. This means that sin is not something that you do every now and again. Like, Oops, I got hammered the other night. Or, Oops, I lied to my boss the other day. Sin isn't something that you do every now and again. Sin is who you are on the inside. You would like to think of yourself as fundamentally a good person who does some bad things every now and again, but the Bible says that's not true. You are fundamentally, deep down, when it is all said and done, a rebel against God. Now, this does not mean, praise God, that we are all axe murderers or genocidal maniacs. Many of us are, humanly speaking, wonderful people who do some wonderful things. But that does not change the reality that we, that you, stand justly condemned for your sin before an almighty God. He has given you life and breath and every good thing and you have not loved and served Him or obeyed His law. You stand condemned. Those are your results. Have you reckoned with that? spiritually speaking, your situation is worse than stage four cancer. But there is a cure. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6. And in the very next breath, he says, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to talk about the cure. I want to talk about the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to start by just saying, do you know what the gospel means? Do you know what that word gospel means? It means good news. The gospel is good news, and it's good news Because anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is given eternal life. Now what I want to do is I want to unpack this good news for you. And specifically I want to unpack the very heart, the very essence, the very crux of the gospel. And the heart of it is a big word called justification. If you understand justification then you understand the gospel, right now, if you're a Christian, or maybe if you're not a Christian, right now, it might seem kind of crazy. How is it that the condemnation of my sin can be reversed, poof, by believing in Jesus? Seems weird. Well, buckle up. Because you're about to be let in on the most precious truth in the entire universe. So the first aspect of justification that I want you to understand is that it is a legal declaration. Justification is a legal declaration. Regeneration is something that God does in you In regeneration, God awakens you to your sin, awakens you to Christ's offer of the gospel. You then respond to the gospel by believing, and then justification is what happens next. And it's a legal declaration made by God about you the moment you believe. Imagine a courtroom. In a courtroom, a judge declares someone to be either innocent or guilty, right? That's what happens in a courtroom. So it is with justification. Justification, please hear me, this is key. Justification is not an inward change. It is not a change of life over time. Justification is not about the transformation of your character. Justification is a declaration of God concerning you. In justification, God, the judge of all, declares something to be true concerning you. And when you look at how the word justify is used in both the Old and New Testaments, this is exactly how it's used. For instance, in Deuteronomy 17.1, the text says, If there's a dispute between men and they come into a court, the judge shall decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. Now, that phrase, acquitting the innocent, literally reads justifying the innocent. So, two men come into court. One is going to walk out justified, declared innocent. The other is going to walk out condemned, declared guilty. Same in Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, we actually see this in spades in our culture. Our culture justifies the wicked all the time. It it declares that sinful actions and those who do them are actually good, an example to be followed. And it declares that the righteous and the righteous who act righteously are bad, and an example to not be followed the reason I bring this up here is because I just want you to see that justify is used in a declarative sense. Justify isn't a moral inward change. It's a legal declaration. Are you following? One more. Luke 7.29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they justified God. Now what does that mean? just means that they declared God to be right. Now, why am I kind of harping on this? It's because it's the very heart of the good news. When you savingly believe in Jesus, God makes a legal declaration about you that is totally separate from the actual moral reality of your life. When you believe in Jesus Christ and savingly believe on Him, God's gavel comes down, the courtroom proceedings are over, and you are declared fully, finally, ultimately, by the judge of the entire universe, two things. And they're unbelievable. Number one, that all of your sins are forgiven. And number two, That you are actually far from being a sinner. You are now righteous in his sight. Justification has two aspects, and I want you to see them. Number one, when you are justified, you are forgiven of all of your sin. Would you turn to Romans 4? Romans 4, it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 4. And we're going to start in verse 4. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you see how justification entails forgiveness of sin? verse 6, David speaks of the blessing of God in counting someone righteous apart from works. And then in verse 7, we see that that, what that means. Well, what does it mean that God counts someone righteous apart from his works? Verse 7 tells us. It means that their lawless deeds are forgiven. Their sins are covered. It means that the Lord will not count that man's sins against him. He is forgiven. This is why in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because their sins are forgiven. This is why in chapter 8, verse 33, Paul says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is God who has declared in His heavenly court that your sin has been forgiven. Who then in the universe can condemn you if God, the judge of all, has declared that you are forgiven? Answer, no one. Now, how in the world can this be? It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross When God declares a sinner to be forgiven through faith in His Son, you need to know this, He is not just saying, you know what, His sin doesn't really matter and He really tried hard. I'm just going to forgive it. If that were all that happened, then God Himself would no longer be a just judge. No. When God declares a sinner to be forgiven through faith in His Son, God remains just because the penalty for your sin has been taken by Jesus Christ on the cross. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And Jesus died to take your punishment upon himself. Well, to keep us in a courtroom setting, I just want you to imagine this for a second. I want you to imagine that you've committed the crime. The facts are clear. The witnesses saw it. The case is a lock for the prosecution. You are guilty and you must pay the appropriate penalty as prescribed by the law. Done deal. Now, I want you to imagine that before you are led away to experience the appropriate and right consequences for your actions, someone stands up in the back of the room and says, Judge, I will take his place. I will pay his price. That is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Galatians 1.1-4 1, 1 Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 4.23 He took our sins upon Himself and He paid the price for them. So God can justly declare us forgiven without compromising His justice because the penalty of our sins was paid for by Jesus Christ. Amen. And so justification entails first the forgiveness of our sin. But there's actually more. We are not just forgiven. And honestly that this is very important to note, if it were the case that we were just forgiven, frankly we would be in a morally neutral state, no longer debtors, but no longer guilty, but not righteous. We need more than just to be not guilty. We actually need to be righteous, to be acceptable in God's sight. God is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin. It is not enough to be forgiven. We must be righteous. And so in justification, God takes care of that. God not only declares us to be forgiven, He declares us to be righteous in His sight. What does that mean? It means that when God justifies us, it's not just that we're no longer considered lawbreakers. He now considers us as perfect law keepers. He declares that we are law keepers. Now, ask yourself, are we law keepers? No, we are not. But in justification, God declares that we are. He declares that we have kept his law perfectly. He declares that we are righteous. How in the world can he do that? Because of Jesus Christ Recall with me that Christ never sinned, right? Not once. He obeyed God perfectly in life and in death. He is the only person who ever loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. And in justification, God credits Christ's righteousness to your spiritual bank account. I want you to imagine that the ledgers are opened in heaven in a coming day and here's your ledger and it looks really pathetic and worthless and you got nothing in there. And then there's Christ's ledger and it looks unbelievable and there's so much in there. And what happens is that Christ's ledger becomes your ledger. And God sees you the same way he sees his son. Perfectly righteous. Because all of his obedience has been credited to your account instantaneously the moment you believe apart from anything you have ever done or ever will do. It's not moral change. It's a declaration of God. It's unbelievable. And I want you to hear Romans 5 again. Did any of you struggle when I was talking about how Adam's sin was imputed to our account? I, I I bet somebody did. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. That's, you know, that's just too much shame right there. But I bet you did. But I bet you're not struggling with Christ's righteousness of being imputed to your account, are you? You see the thing is you deserve the judgment of God not just because Adam's sin is incredited to your account which it is but you show yourself worthy of being judged immediately you don't deserve Christ's righteousness applied to your account but it is credited to you and given to you as a gift here Romans 5 again And listen listen to the contrast between Christ and Adam and the impacts of what Adam did and the impacts of what Christ did. Just, Just listen to it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Justification includes two components. It is a legal declaration made by God about us that we are forgiven, And righteous. You could remember it like this Justification is just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd always obeyed, just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd always obeyed. And it's all because of what Christ has done on the cross now how do we access it well that's a good question we access it not by works of righteousness not by moral transformation not by church attendance not by sacraments not by baptism not by anything we do we access this by faith alone For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm quoting a bunch of the Bible, by the way. I'm not just speaking. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we also know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We access the work of Christ through which we are declared forgiven and righteous, we access it through faith alone. Faith is the means by which we lay hold of the promise of the good news. And when we lay hold of the promise of the good news and believe in the name of the Son, we are justified. God declares us forgiven and righteous. Now, there have been some theologians who said, this kind of seems like some theological fiction. Like, like, how can God just decide to declare someone righteous on the basis of somebody else's obedience? How can God decide that? Well, I'll tell you, it's actually not a fiction at all. It makes total sense given our union with Jesus Christ. Do you realize that when you trust in the Lord jesus christ you are brought into union with him just like you're brought into union with your spouse and when you're brought into union with your spouse unless it's all jacked up everything that spouse you get everything that spouse has you get and everything you have that spouse gets well that's what happened with us when we came to faith in the lord jesus christ he took our poverty and he gave us his riches and all that we have, He gives to us. And so what's the fruit? What's the fruit of justification? And why does this matter? Number one, peace with God. Therefore, when, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies. We are no longer sinners. We are no longer rebels. We are no longer deserving of His wrath. We are His sons and His daughters by faith. We are accepted in the Beloved and we can crawl into His lap and cry, Abba, Father. Through justification, we have peace with god further we have the sure hope of heaven through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god romans 5 2 when we are justified we have the sure hope of heaven not on the basis of our moral transformation but on the basis of christ's righteousness that has been credited to us as a gift And so there is only one way that you can know that you are headed to heaven and that's if Christ's righteousness has been given to you as a gift. If you hope that through your participation in the sacramental system of the church you're going to become holy enough to enter heaven, you're never going to get there. It is only through Jesus' blood and righteousness that we can be right before God. And we are right before Him and we know without a doubt That the moment we breathe our last here, we will breathe our first with Christ in heaven, in glory. Amen. And I would also say a last thing, that we now have a relationship with our Father that is based on grace. You ever been in a relationship where honestly, it only goes well if you hold up your end of the bargain? That's not the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ and with our Father. Christian, you are loved by the God of the universe. I know that you may have done all number of things this week that you're not proud of. I know that you may have had thoughts in your mind, actions proceed through your hands or your feet that you may not be proud of. That does not change the reality that you are loved by God on account of Christ and His righteousness that's been given to you by faith. When God sees you, He sees His son or daughter whom He loves. You will never experience the judicial wrath of the Father. He may be displeased with you, but only out of love and only for your good. This is a relationship not based upon works, but based upon grace. You are accepted. And there's nothing that makes you want to love someone more than to know that you're accepted as you are, warts and all. Amen? And so that's why we sing the way we sing. Because we want to love, serve, honor, and obey our God. And so regeneration is a work that God does in us which leads to responding in faith to Jesus, which leads to being declared forgiven and righteous, which leads to next week, sanctification. Which is where, guess what? You do have a lot of responsibility, so come back. Let me close us in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace and mercy to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for justification. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.